Hello and welcome back to the uh, Good Trash Math Cast. How's everybody we're, doing today? Yeah, what's the square root again? I forget. Yeah, we're just we're just it's the square root of fun. Squishing our numbers into our words and making them both worse. And yeah, doing a very very bad job of it. it. Sounds like a second language almost. Yeah, yeah you know, all, very yeah, French in a way. Very fr- is it French? French? Do French do maths? The French don't do anything. I think they do sadness. I think that's about it. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, there's a and lot. run. They run ennui. really well. They do ennui. They have a word that's their word for yeah. that that feeling. There's a lot that they don't have in common uh, with the islands to the northwest. But, yes. you know, I think I- Ireland and France can, you know, communally, you know, hands across the aisle. You know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, absolutely. They just bond over a general malaise. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably fair. And uh, speaking of malaise, m- m- marmalades. Millier. Uh, <laughs> George Millieu's. Uh, <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table, we discuss a films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film in a impromptu marathon of perhaps fairy tale adjacent uh, female storytelling. Uh, we are looking at Catherine Briol's The Sleeping Beauty. And it's kind of hard article. The heart, yeah. Make hard article. Yeah, Use that article. Definite article. You'll you get the wrong movie. Many of the wrong movies. There are several. Yeah. Even with the hard article, you'll get the wrong movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 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 pretty I much kept was... popping up the other art one from the next year. Uh, with um, Emma Browning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, this is kind of an interesting one, because this is one you wouldn't cover in a film studies course, because it's kind of, a, you know, laying back in the cut. It really is. It is. It, it's, 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 it's an underseen movie. Catherine Briol is known. She's sort of one of those enfant terribles of the... Uh, that generation of French filmmakers, most notably Gaspar Noé, mm-hmm. is one of those cats who... Uh, Alexandra Aja is another one that yeah, comes yeah, up yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so she's she's sort of in that group, but she does kind of fall aside a little bit, and as the 2000 aughts move on forward. Uh, but she's, a, a, you know, an interesting eye, an interesting filmmaker, a storyteller of her own right. And uh, this film, uh, less known than uh, Bluebeard, of another... Uh, fairy tale story that she had told, I think, the was, year before. Yeah, I think it's the yeah. film prior, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Fat Girl, which has got the Criterion treatment and is her sort of best-known work, which I have not actually seen. Is that was it? the film that I had was the call. I haven't seen it either, but that was the film I was familiar with mm-hmm. from her filmography. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. And did you already say that this is a host pick from you? I don't know if I did or not. It is a host pick. I think the audience inferred so much. Well, yeah, anybody who listens to the show show might know that this might be what Dustin would pick. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I like fairy tales and I like French filmmaking and uh, I like Catherine Briol. We're in your bag. We collectively have entered your bag. (laughs) Yes, you have. Yeah. I have have changed the curse and now you are dreaming for the next hundred years and these are the movies that you're going to watch. So, um, God, if only we're going to let you know, dear listener, though, in case it's the first time you've tuned in the show, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. And that does mean spoilers. And this movie does end differently than the 1958 Walt Disney classic. It does. Uh, and we'll talk about how it ends, but not right away. In case you haven't caught up with it and you want to listen to a little bit of our banter to decide whether or not it is worth your time to catch up with, you may do so in a degrees of increasing spoilerage as the show goes forth. Uh, this is how it begins, with a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. It'll be what you read in a logline kind of thing. Then we'll move on to thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will kind of talk about what it's about, but not what happens, uh, like a review does. Then we'll do a little game in which we uh, construct syllabi about this film, which might involve some spoilers, but um, they'll gently... Uh, 
generally not spoil this film, but more generally spoil other films or books. And then finally, we'll have music that lets you know we've gotten down to business, and that's when you know all spoiler bets are off, and we will immediately say exactly what happens and the meaning of torn knickers and a number of other things, I'm sure. So, um... That's not a spoiler, is it? No. Surely not. No. Alluding to Without the f- context. You can allude to the final image of a film and yeah, and give no context and it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so without any further ado, um, Professor Arthur Gordon, if you would, delight us with a synopsis, please. Uh, based on Charles Perrault's classic fairy tale, this updated take sees the young Anastasia fall under a sleeping curse. While she sleeps, she journeys through a dream world before awakening 100 years later. At the age of 16. Yep, she goes in at 6, she wakes up at 16, 100 years later. Time makes zero sense. Well, Speaking of low concepts, to the tenth this power. is a low concept film. A low concept? Yeah, opposite of high concept. So Because you can't sum it up in a sentence. Oh, okay. Mm, I tried. Uh, yeah, deconceptualized. And yeah. Uh, 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 hmm, interesting. All right, well, with that, let's go ahead and do our thumbs that up. That doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. It just means it's not. I, I, I think there's like a connotative like suggestion it's bad, and I, but I know what you're saying. And yeah. so, yeah, it is low concept because it, you cannot. Is it? Well, the phrase in high concept inherently sounds good, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's high concept. Yeah, no, no. So, obviously, that low concept would be bad. Yeah. What but, is the lowest common denominator and, and anyway? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that though, because right, like low concept would seem to imply an easy to explain film, and this is certainly not that. No, I mean it is Sleeping Beauty. The only sorta. way you can explain this is walking through it. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. To really understand, it's an experience movie. It's a vibes movie. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, for sure. So uh, I assume, did either of you catch this at Passport to France at UCO back in the UCO days? Uh, no. Dang, I had the one film class, you two. I, you know, it was all uh, sociology Dalton for got, me. got out while he, was, while he could. While he was yeah. smart. That's probably fair. So I will go to Dalton first okay. and ask you, thumbs up, thumbs down review, what do you think of Catherine Briot's The Sleeping Beauty? This is a cool movie. Yeah. Good pick, dude. Yeah, I like this. Uh, it, it, I already said it, but it's, a, yeah, this is totally a vibes movie. Not really plot heavy. Uh, just kind of strap in and lay back and let it unfold. Uh, I, I don't know what to say to you that's going to paint the picture other than uh, it's it's got a real sort of sleepy charm to it. Uh, it's a film that's not going to punish you for breaking attention. You know, uh, it, it kind of, uh, if anything, rewards it because it is so often kind of fluttering from one thing to the next with little to no connective tissue that those sort of like lapses in attention can can really kind of heighten the film in some ways and and like help it because it's it's already leaning in even that experience would lean even more into what the film is already doing even more elliptical exactly exactly um yeah i just this is a really fun time uh we we sort of start with a conventional fairy tale setup Mm -hmm. And as we go throughout the film, we sort of see the ways in which this isn't going to be conventional in the ways we might have imagined. And yet, a lot of sort of classical fantasia, fantasy, surrealist tropes, Mm -hmm. uh, people with dwarfism, people with albinism, you know, these sorts of tropes that we we kind of tend to expect out of the surreal, uh, these things start to show up as the film is getting more dreamy. And the film never announces that you've entered the dream sequence Mm -hmm. portion of the film, but it just sort of gently lets you know that it's arrived. And I really appreciate that aspect of the film. Mm -hmm. You, it, at any moment, if you feel like you've lost your bearings, you're probably not very far away from the film very gently 
introducing something very conventional and saying, don't worry, this is the part of the movie we're at. And uh, from a structural standpoint, I really appreciate the way where it's it's got that that elliptical vibe. It, it's got that that dreaming sort of that dream space logic. And yet, you know, it's it's got its moments where it's it's narrative will come in and sort of wrangle things together just enough, just as much as you need it to. Um, this is as far as looks go. Uh, this is a, you know a good looking film. Uh, it's definitely you can tell it's made on a TV film budget. You know yeah, I feel yeah. like that's kind of constrains things a little bit. Uh, but really cool production design for what they're they're able to work with. I know you I can you know you feel the costumes. Uh, we wish they kind of had a, a little bit higher costume budget. But you know these are sort of minor quibbles, right? These are just sort of things that I noticed as I was you know, watching like, Oh, I wish, I wish this. And they're all fall under the column of, I wish this movie had more resources. And that's never really a bad problem to have. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. Good pick Dustin. All right. Thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Arthur, what do you think? Do you like the sleeping beauty? Um, don't, you're not going to hurt. As far as, uh, made for TV movies go, it's okay. As far <laughs> as movies go, it's pretty mid. Um, I think that it speaks uh, numbers. The adult says the best way to watch this movie is by not paying attention to it. <laughs> um, I did sort of say that, didn't I? <laughs> so uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, I think that there are a lot of cool ideas here. I think, man, I just wanted more uh, weird boil guys and bowling with skulls. Sure. Like I wanted that for 90 minutes. Like that movie's cool. Uh, and then it becomes very pedestrian. For a long time, the sort of Pan's Labyrinth, face your three trials yeah. kind of thing was cool, and then yeah, yeah. it's not cool for a while. And then Edmund goes off with the Ice Queen, uh, which is kind of fun, uh, but weird. And I don't know, I just wanted more like high <laughs> surreal weirdness. He said Edmund, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Edmund, even, it's Percy. I, I, no, it's, his name's Peter, but Peter. Ed, Edmund is who the ice small qu- British child the Ice Queen takes in who Chronicles of Narnia, who. Edmund. I was right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I was laughing that you were doing Chronicles of Narnia. I thought you were Narnia. correcting me. No, no. no, no. Was, okay. He was just really enjoying your bit. I was okay. Enjoy- I was, I was it appreci- just hit so long. I was, okay. I, I was appreciating your bit, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, well done. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Proud of you. I can <laughs> pull my lit credentials back out of the trash, I guess. <laughs> Threw away for a second. <laughs> Say it with more confidence. More confidence, my I guess so. Oh, man. Uh, I think it's fine. Uh, I one of my favorite reviews of this uh, was that it's a boomer uh, student film, uh, which I think is very funny a way to approach this. That's funny. I think nope, it's that, not. That's mean, <laughs> but it's funny. It's very good. It's kind of appropriate. I do think that without the director's name and this being in French, it may not be as well liked. But I don't know. I, I think it reminded me a lot of the late 90s, early aughts NBC fantasy miniseries that we got, uh, Jason and uh, The Odyssey. I don't know if you remember those mm-hmm. uh, that came out. Sure. And then the BBC uh, Chronicles of Narnia as well. I like the costumes, though. I like I, didn't the, I like the them. bandits. Like that little section. That's good. I like that. That's yeah. one of my favorite segments, I think. Oh, yeah. big time. The stuff with the bandits is really cool. Yeah. Um, I was just oh I I just was wondering the whole time like oh these are supposed to be Romany people right right yeah mm-hmm. they they never say it uh, but there's some sort of like G word yeah. stereotypes as far as like gold teeth and hoop earrings <laughs> that I yes. was like oh Someday. that's and banditry of course. well and, and that the particular sort of cut of their their uh, jib no their 
their costumes, the color, yeah, their style. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think absolutely they are Romany. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think it's cool to ride a deer. You don't see that often. Yeah, deer riding is fun. That's a oh, cool. That was bit. sick. Good image. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that white snowscape too. There's some yeah. cool images in this. Totally. I think I just wanted it to be more weird. Interesting. Oh, I wanted weirder. To, yeah. I wanted to dial into that. Like, I mean, she shows up. And there's a giant with boils all over, and then she has the bowl with a skull. <clears throat> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And it really kind of backtracks on that. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate. Not enough old crones yelling Ouroboros for you. Sure. Yeah. yeah I get it. Yeah. I see. I, I think I wanted more of that for, for this weird dream world narrative. I wanted it to be more dream world. So when it comes to weird, Arthur is a go big or go home kind of I guy. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Not, not, not go. Swing for the fences. Go, okay. That's fair. That's Especially fair. Especially if you're going to keep her in the dream world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of the opposite of Pans, right? Yeah. We kind of get this rotation through this fantasy setting. Kind of back and forth. Is yeah, as Pans. she's facing trials. But here, it's you're here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's best when it's really leaning into that fantasy element. So I'm not mad I watched it or anything, but I wasn't blown away by it. Okay, fair enough. Um, I am a little blown away by it. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, uh, tell us why you picked this. And, and the, the, part of the reason why is because I thought it paired nicely uh, with uh, Legally Blonde and Pretty Woman. And so, again, just <laughs> trying to create some sense of a uh, of a marathon with my host pick and sort of like you know it. playing around that way instead of just doing something completely different like a Monty Python sketch. Uh, so that's part of it. The other reason why I picked it is because I did find it weirdly compelling because it does it well it has built-in bones it has the built-in bones of the sleeping beauty story and fairy tale sort of narrative in general and so what can we do to do an update and think about these stories in terms of there are moral implications there is sort of aesop fabulization though the why of the repetition of these kinds of stories and the purposes which they served and uh, that kind of thing when it comes to fairy stories in general. And then on top of that, overlay some interesting ideas about, well, what if we thought about what was life like the hundred years the Sleeping Beauty slept? Hmm. And so that just sort of lends itself to a kind, but it's not surrealism so much as it is uh, poetic realism. I thought about Michel Carnet and uh, uh, Enfant de Paradis uh, movie from the 30s and a Cocteau a little bit. As I was watching it, and it's, it's, it's got something more along those lines. Is it's, it's poetic, but it's also realistic, and so the, it doesn't go so hard, so fast into weird. But it's like, okay, you expect this, so we'll kind of do this, and then we'll move on to this next bit. And uh, I think that's part of why it works for me. I also thought it was interesting because it is low budget filmmaking, uh, lower budget mm-hmm. filmmaking for sure, uh, from the time in which it was produced, that l- just really does hold up very well in terms of story and making use of the budget that it does have. Sure. Uh, and uh, th- that's one of the things that uh, I- I'm about to see a lot of semi-amateur films in the next couple weeks. And uh, I-, I do know that you can take better advantage of the tools that you have than sometimes people do. And I think this film does a really great job of integrating the costumes they can get, Mm -hmm. uh, the CGI effects they can get and integrating them. Really. I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but a lot of the smoke off the train is CG. I didn't pick up on that. No, but not all of it. Nice. They just, they just enhanced it. They enhanced it with the best CG. And there's a, there's a particular snowflake that strikes the eye of Peter, Mm -hmm. That is clearly, you know, yeah. and also a bee in the hand. 
mm-hmm. that is also um, digitally interposed. You saw both of those, right? But they, but they weren't like so much. Yeah, it, it was like, oh, yeah. it's fine, and we're just we got a B. I in actually didn't notice the B. Oh, the, the B is yep. also yeah CG. I wasn't it's, looking for it, and, and not a big deal. But that's no. the thing is like you use little bits of this kind of stuff. You enhance a little bit, and then you just sort of again play with some conventional tropes, go in different directions with them, and then rotate the thing over into that third act, which I think is really really kind of compelling stuff. And sort of again the loss of innocence, loss of childhood, loss of fairies and fairy tales is all pretty fascinating there as well. And so I, I just thought it was what an interesting stew that this combination of these flavors really kind of goes together, even though they themselves by themselves, you know, would not really uh, sustain a whole film. It just, it, it's a really great stew of a movie. And uh, that's why it's a good time for me. Um, Julia Arkinoff, uh, the, uh, the older, um, Anastasia is also a pretty incredible actress, and so it was yeah. just, it's kind of good seeing her in one of her early roles. Yeah, what's some uh, what's some other stuff so we should be able to look uh, out for? Done a lot of her. French films, obviously. Uh, so uh, I, I couldn't name you uh, the best one off the top of my head, but she does a lot of work with. Um, uh, Oh, it's a friend of Celine Skyamas, and I can't think of her name now. Okay. Dadgummit. It doesn't matter. Um, but if you look in sort of uh, a lot of romantic comedies, a lot of genre... She has a lot of genre stuff. Oh, cool. And okay. so she's not not typically sort of in this sort of art film kind of pigeonhole kind of thing, but she's just a, she's got a good charismatic face and does a lot of good work in rom-coms and little sort of mini action kind of thriller nice. kind of things. And so she's, she's a lot of fun uh, to see there um, of Russian descent. And, uh, you know, working there in France. So, uh, anyway, uh, that is uh, what we think about uh, The Sleeping Beauty. We generally kind of like it, although um, Arthur dares to call it mid like he's, you know, a Gen Zer. But um, that's right. I'm a... Just steal the things, the funny things that they say, which, first of all, they already stole from black people. That's Co- just correct. Yeah. And then we just steal it back and then they stop doing it. Th- th- that is exactly the rule. If once The minute we say them, they're mm-hmm. they're, they're dead. They're, yeah. They are dead. They are terrorists. We are killing the language. Yes, that's right. I'm about to yeet Dustin from the table. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so yote. Uh, nonetheless, <laughs> let's move on to the next part of our show, which is called Expand. That's the fun thing is adding tense to Gen Z slang. Yeah, it really like is. A, it's a good time. Uh, <laughs> Arthur, can you explain what expanding the syllabus is all about? Sure, I can. Uh, expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, uh, well, we're going to assemble an academic course, maybe a module within a course, uh, based around the assigned viewing for the week, which is The Sleeping Beauty, uh, and any adjacent text that may go with it, from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. That is correct, Arthur. Do you come prepared with a syllabus, my friend? You know I do. All right. I am prepared. Uh, I'm hopping on that dark or uh, twisted or uh, kind of misshapen fairy tales train, I think. Uh, Fractured fairy tales? Like yeah. Bullying? Maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Uh, and obviously, we've name dropped it a few times now because it was the first thing I think I thought of, and that's Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was a young girl being swept into this really dark fantasy world, and weird creatures showing up uh, was obviously the first thing that popped to mind. The second thing that came to mind was Spirited Away. Um, nice, yeah, with the small girl jumping on a train, uh, and she is kind of dressed like Yubaba uh, mm-hmm. in her little geisha gear at the beginning here. Um, and that's really, you know, time traveling to this world. That's the first thing I thought of, that image of the train. Uh, I think I would maybe go back to last week's film, Pretty Woman, and yeah. look at that. This kind of city telling of a fairy tale, uh, speaking to that in sort of a darker setting, uh, even though it is very 
light and jovial in its romantic comedy approach. Um, from there, I'd probably talk about Hannah. Yeah. Um, Dog. I thought about Hannah a lot watching yeah, this. I, yeah, I think, which really does kind of let that fantasy mostly just kind of underscore what feels like a very modern present action spy thriller um, that has these themes of fairy tale, but I think they pair really well uh, because Hannah is not so on the nose in some of its thematic work in that way. Uh, From there, I think I want to take a look at the lure, Um, Mm. the kind of modern musical retelling of the little mermaid of Hans Gretel or Hans Christian Andersen's little mermaid Mermaid. story, uh, which has some, uh, faithfulness to that story while also making it this really dark twisted fairy tale of, about femininity and is that still streaming on the uh capital c channel i bet it is i'm sure it's somewhere okay uh have you seen it i have not i'm okay. meaning to that's why i was curious as to where yeah, it was still I mean, streaming it's it's so good and it's dark and twisted and weird um but also kind of fun mm-hmm. you know it's it's a really fascinating movie uh, and then from there, I think I would look at Oz Perkins' Gretel and Hansel. And while oh, I haven't yeah. seen oh, it, yeah. it's definitely, you know, in this art house vein, yeah. uh, Oz Perkins kind of leans toward that sort of more experimental art house style of horror. Uh, and doing something with Gretel and Hansel, I think, is a fun bit. Uh, so that's what I would do. It'd be kind of just a segment on fairy tales. I don't know where you could even put those in like a mythology score, you know, or folklore mm-hmm. course or something like that, or a literary course. So uh, I think that's what we look at though. It's just kind of looking at different takes on ideas of the fairy tale. I kept wondering if you were in a site, uh, the movie that I picked a million years ago that everybody hated running scared with Paul Walker. Uh, which has got a lot of like allusions to classic. Uh, I just fairy forgot tales. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have forgotten about it as well. I saw it too young, and it is unfortunately seared into my mind and will never leave me. I just yeah. that was a pretty was it a heated episode or emotional episode? One An of the emotional two. episode because there had just been some mass gun violence, so we were all really all just the, kind of thinking about the wound kind of a thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I was just curious, but I was thinking about that as you were yeah. sort of mentioning some of them that are more twisted <laughs> very good very good well dalton do you bring a syllabus as well my friend no no okay no i've taken the week off okay. uh i thought about hannah too though and i i'm glad arthur brought it up uh, it was yeah I, there's i thought about sort of a comparative mythology class i mm-hmm. mean just playing with different tellings of sleeping beauty and and other similar like rip van winkley stories uh but no, Arthur pretty much covered the boxes of anything I think I had to say. So okay. what about you, man? So I was thinking, it's still in the vein of the fairy tale, I think, or at least the sort of heroic, sort of, sort of mythic kind of journey, um, but specifically the ways in which they explore gender uh, is what I thought about. Because one of the key points early in the film is uh, she doesn't want to be a little girl, she wants to be a little boy. Her name, I'm not Anastasia, I'm Vladimir, you know, which is really, really kind of funny. I want to be a knight, not a princess. Yeah, and... I thought it was going to go more of an Orlando direction for a little bit. Right. Because well, I went into this totally blind. Which is the first film that I would put on the list. Which I, yeah. I, I made sure I, I watched it finally, because uh, I had never caught it, and I watched it uh, directly following uh, my rewatch of The Sleeping Beauty. Uh, Orlando, if you haven't uh, seen it, dear listener, is an adaptation of a Virginia Woolf novel that was considered to be unadaptable and uh, Sally Potter said hold my beer and then did the thing Uh, good on her and in this film um, 
Tilda Swinton plays a young yeah, man. Yeah, they had nobody had met Tilda Swinton when they said <laughs> Orlando couldn't be made. That, that that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, that is de- her her beautiful androgyny. Yeah, uh, definitely makes it work. But uh, in Orlando, what you have is a young man named Orlando, the Lord Orlando, uh, is promised an inheritance uh, if he would live forever. That's all. That's all that the movie sort of does. So Queen Elizabeth I says, yeah, you can have everything played by a man. Uh, Says a very old man, an old woman, and there's a way in which they, you know, the similarities sort of fall apart. They don't matter Mm -hmm. anymore uh, as far as, like, facial features and and whatnot. And so uh, he lives forever. Like, he's he's about 150 or 100 years old at the time at which one day he wakes up and he's the Lady Orlando. No explanation. That's it. And now must live now as a eternal, never dying lady, and uh, sort of playing. So there's there's this sort of oh hobgolding the wandering Jew, sort of you know uh, Dorian Gray kind of DNA baked into this particular uh, novel and film. And then there's also these sort of questions of gender. Uh, there's a great moment in the film in which there's a line given uh, when the Lady Orlando uh, arrives back, and people know that she was or used to be the Lord Orlando. And so they're like, well, by the way, your property uh, gone now because there are two problems. You are a dead and be a woman, which amounts to the same thing. And wow. And that's Virginia yeah. Woolf's line as well. Uh, it, it's a great, great little uh, film. It's a good time. Billy Zane is incredibly hot in this movie. Nice. <laughs> I mean, love a hot Billy Zane appearance, man. Um, yeah, um, come in for Tilda Swinton. You'll stay t- t- <laughs> through the end for Billy Zane. Uh, not not a not like a super sexy movie or anything like that. It's just he's got this Heathcliff on the moor kind he's of Billy Zane. long hair. Yeah. Billy Zane, those eyebrows, you know, come on. with those eyebrows, that smile, and unbuttoned shirt. You know, five o'clock shadow. Yeah, I get it. And, yeah, know, he's just. He he looks like a Harlequin romance cover. Move over, Fabio. The whole, yeah. Billy Zane's I mean, in town. Really, yeah. truly, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, I've been wanting to catch up with this movie. For he a made while. a mistake with Titanic because people just assume he's a bad guy. It's like he's really a heartthrob. I yeah. mean, completely purtiest man I ever saw. <laughs> um, nonetheless, uh, so that's the first selection I would make uh, for that. The next film I thought I would pair alongside Orlando and uh, this film is uh, my favorite film from last year, which is Neptune Frost. Yeah. Uh, in which we have uh, intersex people uh, in, in this film. And, 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 you know, Orlando is not about transgenderism per se, although there is a transition that takes place. It's, 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 it's I don't know what you call it. It's, I it's, mean, that's a trans tax. It just, you know, yeah. the, by virtue of the limit had the limits on trans texts. Right. You know, sort of things kind of, you know, get selected. That's, come on. That's right there. It's, it speaks to it. Sure. Right. You know, but yeah. it's sort of like, I don't know. Um, the reading is there now. The reading yeah. wasn't there then. The it language was, was lacked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I want to say there. Intersex po- folks are, well, another thing that uh, is touched on in The Sleeping Beauty, um, the hermaphroditic uh, mm-hmm. is the way we would describe this. And it's, Yeah, that's the language that's used in The Sleeping Beauty because mm-hmm. she's, you know, reading from an old dictionary. Right. Uh, it's kind of interesting timing that we're doing this because I'm just now getting exposed to the... Um, ad campaigns for this documentary called everybody there's a documentary about intersex people and trying oh. to end you know uh corrective surgeries for intersex children oh uh, too early yeah yeah, like, yeah. Like before they have a time to make up their mind yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway it's just I, i'm just now getting sort of as we were watching this movie i just recently started to see ads for for this doc so i was like oh wow interesting timing 
And what's interesting about Neptune Frost is although it is, uh, there are characters, uh, a character specifically in this film um, that is intersex, it's not about that so much as it is about resisting uh, political resistance of colonization. It's, a, it's sort of a post-colonial um, tech Afro-futurist uh, mythic adventure film. I, 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 it's, it, well, it, it's a super low concept. It, it, it is a lower concept film than The Sleeping Beauty. Probably harder to describe. But uh, Bangin' Soundtrack, uh, you can look, listen back to our year-end show to hear me say more about it. But I think those mythic kind of formations around what my personhood means, that there is a quest at the root of all of these particular stories, but also the discovery is very much more centered in personhood, specifically related to uh, sexuality, sexual orientation, and gender. And that's really kind of a fascinating way to sort of funnel that, as opposed to just, you know, am I a guy who likes to big up heavy things or I like to read the books, you know, personality kind of, you know, job kind of stuff, which is usually what the male hero discovers at the end is like, I, I, I love to write poetry. That's my, 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 my one thing. Or I love to swing swords at dragons or whatever it happens. Mm-hmm. You're just making me think of, but I'm a cheerleader, obviously. Uh, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, a, which is a movie that we might discuss more yeah. in a couple hours. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, uh, well, that'll come up next week. Probably. Yeah, yeah, you're I, right. Very likely. Um, but nonetheless, uh, there you go to your list. Your syllabus has got much longer. I believe now is the time we get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and uh, that business is, as always, analysis. I want to talk about auteurism, not because we know Catherine Briel's work, but I want to talk about the sort of key usefulness of auteurism. Discovering new movies. Exactly. That's exactly the thing, Mm -hmm. is when you find out a filmmaker is good at making the films, it's always a rewarding journey even when there are duds in the midst mm-hmm. to go through that filmmaker's filmography yeah no i think i've i don't know if i've talked about i think it's also inherently the most common way for people to experience movies right because of that right i've seen this movie i like it what else has this person made mm-hmm. if you get that deep into it right i mean there are people who just watch movies and watch a lot of movies and they don't go beyond the surface right but i know growing up tim burton's the one right for me mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously had a very distinctive style very distinctive look uh very distinctive genre and mood that really tapped into the sensibilities that I aligned with the weird goth and emo, you know, all that kind of nonsense. And, um, because of that, you know, I liked Batman and I liked Edward Scissorhands and I liked whatever. I started seeking out the other stuff Mm -hmm. and it it is very much, I think the most useful feature maybe of tourism to say, okay, they've made this and this. Then if I've liked that, then logic holds that I might, probably like other stuff that they've done right uh but yeah i was just i was arthur was talking about burton sort of being the one for him i was like yeah the sort of earth shattering moment that was watching fight club at 14 for mm-hmm. me is really you know it's like oh who's, Fincher, yeah. who's this dave venture guy yeah like yeah, what's yeah. his deal and yeah you're right that is you know we i think especially the last few years we've really tried to steer our conversations more towards reframing film you know and th- we're not the only people who are like beating the drum about film being a collaborative medium 
mm-hmm. you know, but it's definitely something that I know that we've been more mindful of, of in recent years. But you're right that it never stops being useful, and especially like when you bring in that idea of of filmmaking as collaborative, then you start to be able to assign auteurship to below the line talent too, yeah. right? Like the DP, yeah, uh, sure. You know the the costume designer. I want to see what what else has Taj Fukumoto made. Yeah, I want to see what else is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Or what has Edith had designed costumes on? Yeah, yeah. And editors I think, too. Yeah, or so even the, so you know you mentioned directors, but I also think actors. I think that's the other thing people line mm-hmm. into is like, oh, I love. Adam Sandler in this, so I'm probably going to love <laughs> Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> and then it backfires. <laughs> you may or right? may not, yeah. yeah. But I mean, there are, there but are yeah, guns that you find. So I yeah. Think, yeah, I think Dalton, that's a good point, too, is like, it's not just the director, but those other things that you can try to trace through as well. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Catherine Briol is a good example here because she is a solid filmmaker and she is part of a movement of other film. And again, you could sort of just go, who are the enfants terribly of the 1990s, you know, into the early 2000s in French filmmaking or the cinema du look of the 80s and looking at, you know, uh, Leo Carra and, and, and Luc Besson. And, you know, I mean, there are other things that you could pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, national cinemas. Yeah. What are, what's coming out of Japan? What's coming yeah, yeah. out of France? What's coming out of Poland. I mean, you can, all of those are other ways into it, but auteurism does seem to be the most useful method by which we say, I, I've seen a voice, I've at least been able to identify something distinct in this film that is of a voice, and I might be able to see other pieces of this if I chase mm-hmm. out other filmmakers, more so than I would in Edith Head Costumes, or more so than I would in Bernard Herrmann scores, although again, I, I love Bernie Herrmann, you know, we could go on and on about various other sort of con- collaborators there. And the other thing is, auteurism, you know, we ha- we don't have to limit ourselves to American auteurism. Yeah. One of the great things about French mm-hmm. filmmaking is they are uh, a filmmaking uh, na- nation in which they are pretty close to gender parity in terms of directing. And uh, which is just baffling and bewildering here in the States where. Well, but, you know, and it's funny, though, but you still have Celine Sciamma being like, it's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and you she's still have, um, oh, my God, her, her actor on Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, not, um, oh, my God, the, the blonde. blonde. Yeah. yeah. She just quit the industry. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, can't yeah. think of her name and I feel dumb. Um, but yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, for, you know, gender. Parity, now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. For. Yeah gender parity reasons like mm-hmm. left the industry so it's interesting how like we it's just one step forward two steps back you know sure sure just, even 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 countries who are doing like a largely better job are still like have thousands of years of western chauvinism to deal with absolutely and but the other thing is is that we are able to see other versions of auteurism as well with these with these female filmmakers uh, one of the criticisms of auteurism has been that it's an overwhelmingly sort of patriarchal way of thinking about filmmaking mm-hmm. that dudes control and they're authoritarian they have specific visions and they you know dominate the uh, their generals you know all this sort of uh, masculine and martial imagery around directorship and that auteurism is sort of you know formed by some of that conversation but we can also see that other filmmakers like a Greta Gerwig or mm-hmm. um, Sofia Coppola or whomever might do things differently but also re- recognize that to say that to be a male auteur is to be masculine in those sense it is kind of a essentializing and that there are female filmmakers like Catherine Bigelow is kind of, you know, large and in charge on set, you sure. know, but she's yeah. not a dude. She's still a lady. Yeah. Um, and David Lynch is uh, pretty collaborative and gentle on set, but that doesn't mean he's, you know, it, it moves beyond the binary yeah. in that sense, you know? And I'm sorry. I just, as you were talking about the ways in which Lynch is like, you know, having a good set, I was just also thinking with the ways in which he's, you know, sort of, a. Uh, 
famous for picking up girlfriends, let's say. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The art life, as he'd call it, you know? Just, it's interesting. People contain multitudes, that's all. Yeah, absolutely, and they do. And, you know... But that's what's, you know, that's why it's good you bring up this sort of... You know, it's. I think it comes from this sort of mythology of directors from sort of the... Um, the John Ford era, you know, not to just throw like one person under the bus, but it's a good is, guy to get into the bus though. I, right. Yeah. I thought so. It's just sort of this, this whole generation of dudes who were either adjacent to war or, you know, bumped up against world war two in some capacity. And it sort of informed their masculinity in a way, which like working in the arts was dirty. And so they had to like, masculinize the role of director and it's yeah. yeah i think it affected film discourse in pretty negative way for a long time i don't again i don't I, you know i'm just spitballing it's no, no, no scholarship I, on this that i know of but but i i do think what we find here in this film and this is sort of why the question is Catherine briol is a name yeah go check that one out um go go check out uh her name is just fell out of my head trouble every day claire denis yeah. there we go check out claire denis check out uh, Gaspar Noé. Check out Leo Carrack. Celine I mean, Scalma, you know, who we've already mentioned. Yeah, Celine a lot Scalma. of good French directors. Well, and we've talked about sort of national cinemas as being a useful tool as well. Mm-hmm. Which, like, yeah. As soon as you scratch the surface, you'll find a dozen filmmakers that you should know more about. And there's usually the, uh, they usually describe them in these terms, of these little movements. Mm-hmm. And so the cinema to look of the '80s, the these uh, these terrible children of the '90s. The you know we could uh, the Czech New Wave of the '70s. If you want to check a Slovakian film, I mean, there's no. you know if you find one thing in there that you like, you can definitely. Yeah. Chase that out with various directors, yeah, and then you might discover in that a Milos Forman, and then you want to watch all the Milos Forman movies, yeah, cool. Uh, but it all of these are avenues towards uh, greater cinema consumption and understanding and broadening of one's palette, and so I, I, I think this movie. For one thing, does so does does good duty in sort of defending what's worth left defending in tourism. Yeah, you know totally, and, and that that's I did, you know just worth throwing that out. I think there. You, while we're sort of in this you know form and you know mechanics place of conversation, I think it's interesting to bring up this this film's role as a TV movie, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of I don't know, not a lost art, but it's it's you know especially in this country, you mostly think of it as an HBO thing. Yeah, right? there's a well with the advent of streaming, every yeah. movie is a TV made for mo- TV movie, right? Fortunately, yeah, The Gray Man is a TV movie. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Red Notice is a Red t- Notice yeah, yeah. Ghosted is a TV movie. Yeah, so, I mean and they it's play like reshaped, but I mean it starts yeah. with HBO, right? They kind yeah. of do this for a long time, and the idea it's not TV, of baby. the it's HBO. <laughs> That's right. So Strand it's, does the releasing on this. Was this a uh, Cine Plus? Uh, I can't Canal, tell. There's Canal not, Plus. This movie has no Wikipedia entry. No, it has it's hard very to, like, little background on it on outside this. of like a Rotten Tomatoes page with 28 reviews. Yeah, I've got uh, an article somewhere buried so in the archives. I, but it said it debuted on TV in like I don't remember when. Whatever. 2010. Yeah, I but think. I can't remember what month. You know, uh, it's got like gotcha. a broadcast date gotcha. and then the American box office numbers. So I don't mm-hmm. know. What that really? I mean, I guess it just aired one Sunday night or something in France. Yeah, like, I, I don't know the in, ins and outs of TV production in other countries. Yeah, I don't either. I do know that Canal Plus is sort of like the major distributing arm for a lot of film mm-hmm. coming out of France, but they do have their own television channel. And with the film being a strand releasing movie, it makes me think that it's on one of the sort of lesser, cha- not lesser, but less common, less popular. Uh, yeah, it's through your channel less four. For it's not ABC and NBC, it's CBS. Yeah. It's, it's one of the less globalized channels, yeah, 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 I yeah. guess I might yeah. say. It's, so it's like channel UPN. four if we're talking British TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. The WB. Yeah. 
Well, I wonder what the CW's international footprint is with Riverdale and their Arrow and Supernatural. Shows. And... Yeah, now, Riverdale probably leaves a footprint, I would think. So. Right? I mean, that's that's just too too much too, too weird TV. Yeah. Sorry, uh, we, we, uh, can't, uh, we cannot go down a river hole. No, river, no, no. What I'm Riverdale just saying, it's very hole. steamy as well, so it gets hole. an audience. Yeah. And so, yeah. You know, a river hole. A river I like hole. It. It's, yes. got, it's got the the appropriate amount of exploitation to bring eyeballs to the screen. Boy, does it. Nah. Um, Speaking of exploitation, I mean, and the appropriate amount. Shall we discuss an exploitation of a actress's body? Yes, or is that well, what I was just, I just want to talk about how this movie fucks. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just good to see sex in movies, you know? Right. We've been talking about this a little bit lately. Without a lot of on-screen sex. No, yeah. Right? Like a really... It's all in the build-up. Yeah. It is in the build-up. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a... Well, the, and, the, and the pillow talk, right? And, in, those, in yeah. the first... Five minutes of the movie, there is some nudity, but the nudity itself is sort of Renaissance statuesque kind of stuff of the three fairy godmothers. It's not to titillate. Yeah, not to, no, correct. Well, because other countries don't have sort of the foundational problems that we do. <laughs> you know, they're a little more mature. Uh, yeah. For lack of a better way they, to put they, it, they can see a breast without arousal. Yeah, you know, is, is what we're trying to say. There. Yeah. Um, yes, correct. Put some fig leaves on those girls, please. <laughs> you want me oh, yeah. to show this to Florida? <laughs> You're offending Arthur's delicate sensibilities. <laughs> this will never Cap- play Catherine in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Not south of the Mason-Dixon line, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it opens in that way, and, and which, again, makes you think, and remembers maybe there's more to it than there is. Um, there's a post-coital scene um, with adult... Um, Anastasia mm-hmm. and uh, what is uh, our Roman girl? The Bandit Princess. The ban- let's, call let's call her, her the Bandit Princess. Why yeah. not? Um, and it is again, it's chased. I mean, yeah. again, there is there's there is nudity there, but again, it's, it's relatively chased. The, but like a really interesting, thoughtful, and mature adult conversation mm-hmm. about sort of the nuances of sexual politics, right? Within this the surreal, surreal moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the final, you know, sort of scene is uh uh uh, i guess the loss of virginity scene with uh not peter johan johan yes the uh the the super handsome the the great grandson of peter who is yeah he's a smoke show yeah really i thought he was pretty good looking yeah i thought i mean he's you know billy zane but he's a good turn away i don't know (laughs) yeah what? Like, I don't know where I can get. Once you get Zane, anything else drives you insane? Yeah, we're, maybe. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll see figure you, it out yeah, next week. <laughs> All other men are a pain. Yeah, we'll circle back. Okay. <laughs> All right. Put a pen in this. All right. But that's it. It's sort of the awful terror of you know uh, the first encounter for many women. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's that it's it's not hot. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. she's not having a great time. Mm-hmm. She's she is, but she isn't. Mm-hmm. It's like all of that sort of. And and again, then in that particular moment, the nudity itself is sort of lacking. It's just well, it's made for TV kind of nudity in the yeah. states almost at that point. It's what you'd see on Days of Our Lives or yeah. uh, well, Riverdale. Riverdale, yeah, <laughs> <There. laughs> um, something along uh, those lines. And so, yeah, I, I do think that. It, it plays with sex and sexuality in a way that is able to deal better with, um, you know, the the thematics around it rather than it sort of being about totally because it's doing it to deal with the implications of sort of all of these fairy tales. Correct. I mean, specifically the Sleeping Beauty fairy tale, but sort of fairy tales writ large. It wants to deal with sort of some of those implications, uh, implications, implications of prophecy. There mm-hmm. we go. Sort of squish words together. Uh, and like what that like this this idea of prophetic sort of betrothal and like mm-hmm. what that means for the women in these stories. 
sort of sort of interesting the way that like, these themes like get pulled into the film, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, this is it becomes a story very much about adolescence and growing up, mm-hmm. right? It becomes very much about uh, early, again, very Freudian kind of early imprintation, imprintation, yeah, imprinting, imprintation. Sure. I don't know, of those sort of first kind of uh, um, sexual attractors in our lives. And so the, the sort of um, surrogate stepbrother, Peter, mm-hmm. is sort of her first infatuation. Mm-hmm. It becomes her type, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's why Johan is, is, is so attractive to her. Uh, the way in which that imprints, the way in which uh, adolescence comes on. I always think about the Romany folk as coming around having a new best friend from a different family that the family just has different family rules, right? Mm, that, yeah. That sort of yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the, the sort of immediate um, being immediately being enamored by saying, Oh, you get to do these things that I don't get to do. Yeah. You're automatically better. Right. And then yeah. you find that there's a good time. There's fun. And it, what's weird is that the things I thought about my friends' families, they thought about my, my family because it's just the different, right. It, yeah. it, it's part of that. But that sort of rejection of, that which one one used to know, and again, just adolescence kind of stuff there. Totally, you know, um, that it, that's interesting. And then finally, uh, I think the film wrestles with these questions of virginity itself and um, the spoiling, the import placed upon it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and those kinds of things. So yeah, there's there's a lot happening there. Um, that last scene of the the, the torn pantyhose, um, which I, I wasn't paying attention. Um, also the torn back of Johan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I had not noticed yeah. the first yeah. time I'd seen the movie. Yeah, Becca pointed that out to me yeah. as I was like, this is a cool final shot. She's like, yeah, check out his back. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. So. Uh, yeah. It's a cool final image. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is sort of this, I know the whole movie's dealing with the sort of, you know, Madonna whore complexes that we have within Western culture. And like, what a what a final image to like go out on. If that's like one of your key themes, these like these torn leggings and the scratched up male back, like mm-hmm. great. Well, she's no longer the sort of alabaster pristine exactly. kind of body, right? And and yet there is still like this, you know, I don't know. There's something about the shot that is so filmic to me that it it, it kind of reads as like. And yet there is something ineffable about her still, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Maybe right. that's my. Yeah, I, I think I think there is something there, but yeah. she's no longer Venus de Milo, but no one ever was. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, there we go. That's fun. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Uh, because I do think some of the the lighting choices, especially you know when um, we see the the two of them in bed together, you know his sort of bronzer body, mm-hmm. you know, in in stark contrast to hers. Um, I think there's something to that, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that's the classical sort of image of what this could be or what this should, you know, quote unquote should mm-hmm. be. And then something more like the way things really are. Right. Well, and it is sort of, I don't know how, how much her pregnancy factors into it, but it's definitely yeah, an, a interesting part, an interesting part of the fi- finale of the film we haven't touched on is like, there is this sort of elliptical edit after they have sex together and they, that shows that they've gone their separate ways she like disappears in the night she's tired of being locked up in johan's family house and being kept from the modern world that uh, has has sprung about as she was in her slumber 
And uh, then they meet each other, kind of very much reminded me of the end of Ex Machina a little mm-hmm. bit, where Alicia Vikander, you know, is like, and there's there's Android Lady. I can't remember what her character name is. Ava, I think. Uh, there she is out in the world. And then we kind of have that moment with Johan uh, and Anastasia. They bump into each other in the street, and he realizes she's pregnant. And that's how we get back to this encounter back in mm-hmm. her flat where we kind of end the film. And yeah, it is sort of this... She's like, yeah, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, dumb pregnant. <laughs> right, <laughs> kind of right. This is, this is how this works, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting how that scene plays out between the two of them. Because there is, like, an animosity to it. You know, there is a the graduateness about mm. the ending, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, mm. we were destined for each other, and it kind of sucks, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I should be with the bandit princess, yeah. you know? And that's the, the sort of the... The ways in which, like, homosexual relationships are not granted legitimacy in society is sort of like played with right she talks about how like well it doesn't count because we're girls right right and like yeah we can we can like learn about love together but like you know the you know but then you'll because boys are scared of women Mm -hmm. who don't know what they're doing you know there's there's all these kinds of like different threads of well there's a spectrum expectation uh as well that's sort of played with it it does seem to be that for anastasia something more of an experience in her growth along the road Mm -hmm. and uh for our uh, romany princess a bandit princess. Well, that's what we went with for the name, right? Yeah. A bandit princess. It seems to be that she's sort of found out. No, this is this is the way I swing now. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and so it, it the different places in that road of discovery. It seems sure. You know. Yeah. It's kind of fun that we just don't deal with like why she's still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just like you know. I'm also immortal. Don't don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah it's I'm been a hundred years, but you know. Yeah, I'm only twenty two or whatever. Yeah, it's don't worry about it. You're asking too many questions. Yeah. Uh, which is fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the fairy tale pieces, which do kind of compose most of the film, mm-hmm. um, and just the what purposes that they serve there. Because at one point, the uh, Lapland uh, witch says something about the magic powers of Anastasia, which is not to you know make the miraculous happen so much as she's able to sort of convince people to do what she wants. You know that, yeah. that that she's never really any kind of danger. So when she when she shows up at the train station, they don't want to let her in. It's sort of this idea that there's rules, and you don't know what the rules are. And this is mm-hmm. sort of growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, um, our um, little person um, train station ticket man. I don't know what conductor. He's, yeah, he's not, not a conductor. conductor. Uh, I can't think what he's called. Yeah, what do you call the guy that takes your tickets? There's a name for it. I yeah, can't think I know. what the word is. I know there is porter. Yes, I think that's it. I thought the porters carried your luggage. I don't oh, know. Damn. I the don't train know. guy. The train guy. Anyway, um, not Ringo Starr uh, <laughs> is from uh, <laughs> from Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, is eventually sort of you know embraces her and you know shows her along her way. Uh, the way in which our albino twins mm-hmm. um, do not go ahead and kill her for invading their space, uh, but they take her in. They give her all the stuff that she needs. And uh, what do you got here? Station master, depot agent. Yeah. So. Uh, but you know that's sort of the 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 power of girlhood. Is it the power of cuteness? I think it's yeah. There's something about like the power of cuteness and it's sort her of feminine wiles. Well, I, I don't know, it's like desexualized feminine wiles. Yeah, right? I yeah. don't know because there is something very much all those all those scenes you just mentioned. Like you're right that these characters she interacts with are like, oh well, I, sh- I shouldn't do this, but okay. Mm-hmm. And like it is kind of like she just shuffled from one caretaker to the next. And yeah. just sort of this like 
all people feel an innate responsibility for children, but everybody like deals with that to varying degrees. Sure. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? There is this sort of interesting, it takes a village aspect to her hundred years of dreaming uh, with all these figures that she encounters who I, again, like it's unclear to what extent they interact with the real world because you know, the princess she meets uh, is, you know, there in the real world a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it is, yeah, I think there's something interesting there. Maybe it is just about, childhood but you're right that there there is something about girlhood tied up into it probably yeah because she is so much of it is about like her expectations of being a princess and her disinterest and you know an active like uh, rebelling against that uh that we get early in the film so i don't know i I, that thread of you know her uh again you know you mentioned orlando in your syllabus Mm -hmm. i really did expect that thread of her wanting to be a boy to like enter into the film a little bit more yeah you know i did too yeah it's just cheat up so early well it it seems to me what the film wants to suggest other than she can't escape her she can't escape her femininity yeah Yeah. that's exactly it is that she she wants to sort of she has to embrace it by the end yeah and and so this is these the roles is is predestination Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. this is what a this is how we got to go about doing stuff now yeah you know um, since she's not, um, she's not queer enough to be the bandit princess, you know, she's, she's too straight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know the limits of the film's imagination or the limits of Anastasia's imagination. Right, it's hard yeah, to say which it which is. Which it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering about the commentary on, is it male sexuality or is it French male sexuality with Peter's, uh, immediate obsession with the snow queen, the unattainable sort of, um, Yes, I'll take you, but no, I won't. I don't uh, know. I thought it was. I mean, it definitely is like way too light in which in the wardrobe to not be deliberate, right? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a riff on like even though it's English literature, like it's well known enough that obviously it, I, I'm sure it plays in France too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of people relate it more to the Snow Queen, the Hans Christian Andersen. Sure. Oh right. Yeah. I think that's because I was reading reviews and that seemed to be the more common. But I immediately thought of. Oh, yeah, I think Chronicles. Uh, yeah. the, I don't know if that's just. I think the Chronicles movie. My familiarity point. Yeah. I think the Chronicles movie uses some of the iconography of that sled scene. Yeah. You know, for yeah, yeah, their yeah. film. Yeah. So I think that's part of it as well. That's fair. But the, you know, she she's beautiful, but also unattainable. Yeah. She will. Bring you Who doesn't along. love a pretty mean lady? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it, maybe it's not so French. Maybe it is kind of American too. Yeah, I, I, or just uh, something uni- more universal than that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, I don't know. I mean, if we're really is gonna, it a woman just sort of trying to, under- to split open the male psyche? Christ. Well, uh, it, is that what Brielle's trying to do? Is like this is what I see men doing? Is yeah. they don't want the woman who wants them. They want the woman they can't have. Yeah. It, it, not, not interested. I've at all. seen the meme. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> No, it, I th- I is think the movie right. that meme? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that just a moment of Brielle just sort of like. And by the way, boys are mystifying to me too. Well, so. here I'll complicate it by like by bringing in Johan, right? Okay. Because Johan is like, so what are you going to let me get away with? Basically, yeah. what are we going to do? What are the limits of this relationship? Like that is <laughs> seven buttons. That is the extent of his and Anastasia's relationship. Is how physical is this going to get? Because as soon as they meet, she's like. Hey, what's up, boy? <laughs> I mean, it's it's right away, it, and it's both of them. So it's this weird, like, sexual negotiation going back and forth. And as soon as we find out, like, what Johan's life is like away from Anastasia, it's like he's got some chick from his school that he's like, yeah, around he's just with. like Peter. He, he just wants the unattainable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're it's these. Yeah, I mean, we've got this this boy and he's his great great grandson or great grandson, whichever. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what the implication is, right? Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's what Brielle's getting at is, like, 
there is this tendency towards, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. Uh, unethical sluttery, uh, we'll say, for, for men. And maybe, again, you know, she's mm-hmm. probably speaking to her own country's culture more, sure. more than trying to make a general statement. But, you know, who knows? Uh, I think you're right, though, that there is something there with not only Peter, but also Johan. Like, it, it's all playing in together, yeah. for sure. And it's interesting, it all ties back into that ending where they are together despite that maybe not being what either of them wants yeah yeah Yeah, sort of an interesting place that it ends up again by commenting on the the, sort of the classical and they lived happily ever after ending Uh, and again like we talk just now talking about the sort of the sexual negotiation that takes place in that relationship like it is sort of a a new unfurlment of the the awakened through kissing mm-hmm. you know it's sort of yeah a lot of interesting notes that she's playing with in this film absolutely brill's the credited writer on this as well yes right? she is so i thought okay and this sort of lends us to sort of those generalizing conclusions of sort of wide um high generalization about maybe french film maybe art film in general is the ambiguities of the film is mm. part of what we're wrestling with here which is just a, a different beast than what we're dealing with with sort of uh, american narrative film yeah i mean we've mentioned already that this is a vibes movie mm-hmm. you know narrative is secondary to, to the experience of this piece and that's not to say that you can't see this in american filmmaking of course you can sure but it's just less common and yeah. again a, a different kind of uh, i i think it, it i think this movie provokes questions more than it provides theses you know and that's it's fun when movies do that exactly well yeah. I, okay I promise this is just your obligatory what's going on with the movies moment. I know Mm -hmm. we do this literally every week, (laughs) but there is this kind of weird thread in American media culture, right? Where it is like the Reddit detective syndrome where like because of Westworld, because of Game of Thrones, because of Christopher Nolan, we've got a generation of like media enjoyers who have been taught that the way to enjoy something is figuring it out by salt puzzle boxing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, that's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, a lot of those yeah. stories are not that interesting. I, You know, a puzzle box is only as good as its solution. And a lot of those examples that you could pick that have kind of led to this sort of Reddit detective syndrome, not really like that fulfilling of stories because they hang so much on questions that they don't have good answers to. And no. sometimes it's much more interesting to not have an answer, to mm. only have questions. Right. And for a piece to say, I don't know, tell me what you think. And I think that a lot of people in our American media discourse recoil from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like they can't handle being told, no, you're responsible for the answers to this movie. And that just like does not work for some people. Yeah. It just yeah. like really rubs people the wrong way sometimes. And I'm, I'm interested in that impulse. Here's, here's the big secret to uh, Blade Runner. It, it doesn't matter if Deckard's a replicant. Deckard has realized he was the bad guy all along. It, that's it, what matters. Yeah, that's, that doesn't matter. Is what matters here's, yeah. here's the secret to the end of Inception. It doesn't matter if the, sp- the yeah. top stops spinning yeah. and falls over. It's, it's literally part of the text that that is, yeah, it's weird. Uh, Memento, yeah. right? I don't know. Another Nolan More one. Nolan, yeah. Yeah, more Nolan, but still like very straightforward ending. Like, no, this guy's deceiving himself. Yeah. And like a lot of these things. What's have, in the box? Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> part, part of her, of her. Yeah. <laughs> and what does that mean what is what is that yeah I don't know do we have anything else to say about the sleeping beauty I don't believe we do let's go ahead and render a verdict now shelf or trash for this TV film I go to you first Dalton what do you say 
I, I can't. Uh, it's too I hard to make f- it. I don't know. I think it's too hard to find, you know, and I think it's hard to find. This is going to keep it on things like Tubi and where it's streaming with ads right now. And if it ever leaves there, then it's going to end up somewhere like Canopy, right? It's going to end up in one of the library collections. Yeah. I think Catherine Briel is a filmmaker of enough note that this isn't ever going to be like impossible to find. So I, I don't know that you necessarily have to have it, but I'm really interested in it. I think it will. Uh-huh. Re- I don't know if Tubi wants some tax write-offs, they may take it down. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Who knows? Uh, no, I mean, I'm very curious what the licensing on a French TV movie is. You know, I'm yeah. wondering what the annual cost of having the Sleeping Beauty on Tubi is, and God, what is its ad revenue? Anyway, a pack of cigarettes and a baguette. <laughs> my 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 father went out for a 16 millimeter canister and a pack of Cools, and that was the last I saw of him. That's that's a that's a French uh, film lover's uh, childhood. Once a carny, always a carny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I like this movie. I think it rewards rewatch, but I I don't know that I can go far enough to go. This is essential. Like yeah. I, I'm definitely more interested in Catherine Briel, and I want to get to Fat Girl and Bluebeard. So good movie. I do recommend it. I don't think you need to own it. Probably. All right. Very good. Very good. What do you say, Arthur? Yeah, I think I would just very lightly. Put it in the trash. Mm-hmm. Nothing, you know, detrimental. No hammers coming down on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no malice. Nothing about it blew my hair back. And I think there are other dark fairy tales I'd go to, other stories of femininity I would go to, other French filmmakers I would go to. Yeah, okay. Very that good. hasn't turned me off for Brio, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also am going to say trash, guys. I didn't pick this movie because I thought it was shelfable. I thought it was a movie that you, everyone ought to watch. Then that once we've done that, you've done that. And it would be great to return to it. And in fact, this 10 years uh, later return that I've just made to this film is worthwhile, and I'm glad I got to. But as you say, I think it'll be generally available on various streaming services for some time in the foreseeable future. If at some point a sort of super steelbook version of this were to come out where you might have the TV spots and, you know, maybe a commentary from Brio herself or something like, you know, like that were to come out with it as like, we're going to really revisit this movie and, and uh, lovingly restore. Cause you can see that the transfer itself is not awesome, but if they went back to the negatives and, and did some work with that and really made it look good, you know, uh, not, not that it looks bad, but look a little bit more cinematic, a little crisper. I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's that, there's a sort of, the transfer just doesn't seem to be like as lovingly constructed. Yeah, it doesn't look bad, but it's it, the, it'll do. Did the lighting look a little off to you in the, this transfer? Like as far like a little too washed out? I don't remember. Oh, the lighting. I thought yeah. you said lightning. I was like, I don't remember lighting. lighting. Yeah, the yeah. lighting did look a little washed out to me. It does need to be darker. Yeah, you know, I, I thought. Um, and that w- the darks, the blacks need to be yeah. deeper. Uh, so yeah, it. it may be shelfable because it, it deserves like a good proper restoration. If yeah. that were to happen, I would probably buy it. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, because I have seen it a couple times. Mm-hmm. But as far as my general recommendation for the viewer, it's like no, just, I just want you to watch it. Hell yeah, that's all I really care. So in that sense, trash. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on the Sleeping Beauty. Uh, we're probably wrong. We're almost always wrong. And Dalton tells you how we can be corrected. I'm going to do it right this very second. You can send your corrections and other long-form feedback to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That is the name of the podcast you're listening to at gmail.com. You can also find our website, goodtrashmedia.com. 
uh, you know, it's an old website, so a lot of stuff doesn't work. Uh, but there's written articles on there. You know, some of the, the pod landings don't work. So if you want to listen to our stuff, you know, go to your podcatcher of choice. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see written content from us and, you know, friends of ours that have collaborated with us in the past, it's goodtrashmedia.com. More to come soon. There. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just, you don't have to beat around the bush. Uh, Dead Center is getting ready to start here in Oklahoma City. Uh, and we've got press passes to that. So we're going to try to, you know, you know, Dustin's going to try to get some written material out there. I might drop a garbage shoot or two. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to try to get some stuff watched. I want to watch a bunch of movies and write things. It's going to be great. Movies! We love them, and they hate us. Why? Why do they torture Why us they so? so yeah. Anyway, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for that feedback. Uh, you know, we're on Twitter, but that's a sinking ship. So, <laughs> whatever. At Good Trash Media over there. Um, most importantly, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM to find out how to help us keep the lights on uh, and find out what's in it for you. Uh, that could be something as simple as uh, getting a DVD sent your way or something as fun as you getting to pick a recommendation for the show, a episode pick for you. That is, a, you know, we only had a few of those. There's only, you know, 12 months out of the year that we've, we've got a host pick or a guest or a Patreon pick slotted. So, you know, if that's something you want to do, go check that out. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. I believe now Arthur is going to tell us what we'll be watching next week. Well, next week we're going to be throwing Vaseline on our teeth and working on our tap routines as we take on Drop Dead Gorgeous. I'm not putting Vaseline on my teeth. You'll do it and you'll like it. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. (laughs) 